This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Cruise Control, that car show here on BFM. And I'm Rich Bradbury. I'm on the phone with Arif Roos. He's that man with the news. Say hello, Arif. Hello, Richard. Hello, Daniel. Hello, everybody. Now, the other person is Daniel Fernandez. He's the man with the website, dsf.my. Say hello, Daniel. Hello, everybody. Hello, Arif. Hello, Rich Bradbury. This is poor Daniel. Please. Now, as usual, we have a car show in three parts. So we're going to be doing some news up top, and then we've got a bit of a pit stop, and then a used car review at the end of the show. It's a BMW. Well, surprise, surprise, it's a BMW. Again, again. E38 7 Series, but we'll get to that shortly. Arif, talk to me about news. What have you got for us this week? So, uh, I think globally, it was quite a slow news week, but we do have some pretty big news from Toyota about what they're going to be doing in Malaysia in the near future. And what they're going to do is building mass market hybrid vehicles over here in Malaysia. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys, that's pretty good news, isn't it? Good news. That is fantastic news. So, they announced in a press release at the start of this week that they are going to be spending 270 million ringgit to invest into their current facilities to start local assembly of all of these hybrid electric vehicles bunch of cars that they could bring they don't actually have a big huge hybrid electric vehicle portfolio but they do have the RAV4 hybrid Corolla Cross hybrid Camry hybrid a number of good cars that Malaysians could eventually get into one day well it's good news and it also (laughs) might spur Proton and Geely to start bringing in their hybrids fingers crossed Mm. Why are they doing it here and not Thailand? I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't want to sound, you know, a bit skeptical about it, but like... Don't scare them away before they get here. <laughs> Come on. Exactly. I, I think the reason is simple, gentlemen. I mean, my analysis is this. They have huge factories here producing vehicles, but it's not seeing its maximum capacity. Number two, we are supposed to be promoting a lot of hybrid and electric vehicles in the coming years. Fingers crossed. So I think they're just planning for it. Yeah, and I guess there's also been some sort of rumours, especially with the supposed Porsche factory that's going to be built here. Porsche assembly, not factory. Assembly, sorry. Yeah, yeah. so uh, maybe the transport ministry is actually doing something with, you know, the hybrid <gasps> incentives that <gasps> they announced. Arif, how dare you? <laughs> you might be right, though. You, 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 you might be right. That sounds about right, yes. Uh, yeah, nice to see it here. Do, will, will this mean then uh, that potentially in the near future, maybe perhaps someday we might see cheaper versions of these vehicles? Well, it is supposed to be tax-free. If if it goes the right way, you're looking at the petrol version, whatever the petrol version costs, drop it by another 30% or 40% and there's your cost, your pricing. Hopefully then. So RAV4 currently is about what, 220? 220. Yeah, you're looking at maybe a 60,000 discount, you know? Not a discount, you're basically a tax concession. But, you know, again, is the government, is the Malaysian government going to let go this much tax in the middle class market? They did it before in the luxury market with Mercedes, BMW, Audi, and, of course, uh, Volvo. But will they do it in the middle class market, which is the biggest car market? Well, in the way that things are going, there might not be a middle class left. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
Thanks well, for, I mean, come on. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's, it's the truth. You know, thanks be for careful. thinking of us, Richard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Please. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's do some news about some cars that we could probably never afford, even if our retirement savings were combined into one pool. But we can look at pretty pictures of them. Yes. Yes. Mm. Or buy toy cars of them, I guess. Yes. Because a holy trinity has been announced and consists of Bugatti, Rimac, and Porsche. And Bugatti, everybody knows Bugatti, you know, pinnacle of the automobile, high luxury, super excessive, iconic, copies of it in Grand Theft Auto V, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Rimac, they are a Croatian manufacturer owned by a 33-year-old called Mate Rimac. 33 years old, and he, and he runs billion-dollar company. Jeez. Right, but he's a smart dude. Very smart dude, well-spoken as well. And... Basically, the brand was sort of launched onto the scene because Richard Hammond of the Grand Tour actually launched one of the Swiss mountains and got into a massive, horrible accident. But recently, uh, they've put all of that behind them, and now they are a brand of huge technological and automotive interest, so much so that the Rimac Group is actually backed by Porsche themselves, who owns 24%, and Hyundai. So interesting technology that Hyundai could borrow or learn from from one of the fastest cars in the world called the Rimac Nevera. Mm. This Rimac Nevera just got launched uh, or just got revealed. Apparently, it's 99% there, according to Mattia Rimac himself. 1,914 horsepower, electric hypercar, 1.85 second sprint, 415 kilometer an hour top speed, and a nine second quarter mile, which is very, very close to... Drag strip races, basically. You need a special permit to do a nine-second quarter mile in the US. Do you think they'll let Richard Hammond in this one? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the story is really is that Rimac bought Bugatti from the Volkswagen Group, who were looking for the past year, I think, to try and sell the Bugatti brand or to offload some of its shares. And Rimac came in and bought 55% and formed a new company called Bugatti Rimac LLC. And of course, we know that the Rimac Group is being invested in by Porsche, who owns, as mentioned, just now 24%. But this new Bugatti Rimac LLC, 45% of it is still owned by Porsche, who is owned by the Volkswagen Group. I guess what we're seeing essentially is they're going to do the same uh, R&D and build the same sort of chassis and motors. And they're still going to build super expensive cars that we cannot afford. Overall, though, very interesting, right, guys? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> You just, just the very fact that you just ended that, you know, I was just listing away and I'm like, I'm so happy about all these supercars. They look fantastic. But, and then you ended again with, but we can't afford it. <laughs> That's the truth. No, it is. It is. And, but, and, you know, I want some aspirational content, Arif. Buy a poster on a wall, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Daniel. It's, it's sad that, you know, a big company like the Volkswagen Group can't keep its hands on Bugatti. You had to let it go to a small, little hypercar manufacturer. Yeah. That just shows how things are going on in the Volkswagen Group. But it also makes you wonder how this small, little hypercar manufacturer has managed to raise funds to buy Bugatti. Exactly. Well, he's got a lot of investors. He's been doing very well. His profit margins are very good. Yeah. And he's like one of those tech startups that just keep getting money after money after money after money. I think he's just got too much money. He said, okay, let me go and spend some of it. Not to mention as well, the, the Rimac brand, I guess a lot of people are seeing it as kind of positioned 
with the likes of uh, Bugatti and Koenigsegg. So mm. they are that sort of level. Maybe they don't have the same sort of exotic looks or, you know, finer tuned buttons and switches made out of solid gold or whatever. But it's a car of that level, I guess. It's definitely a cut above the likes of like Lamborghini and Aston Martin and all of those. Correct. All right. Shall we move on from the Holy Trinity to something n- not holy? <laughs> okay. L- like, like, like a Lotus. <laughs> <laughs> they are getting quite holy these days, though. They're coming back to their brand because, as Daniel wrote in this article, many people actually thought Lotus was going to go all supercars and SUVs like Aston Martin, like Lamborghini. Really? Well, I, they, I could never imagine a Lotus SUV. Well, they, they did do a, a sample some years ago when they were under Proton. They also did a four-door version. They also did some weird concepts that were looking towards the family buyer, but it just did work. Ah. And so they went silent for quite a bit after being bought over by Gilead. I think they tried to build a new factory somewhere yes. and they launched a new hypercar, the Lotus Evija that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so now here's Lotus doing a really serious sports car that sort of goes back to the brand's core principles. The first thing I want to ask you guys is, what do you think of this new Lotus? I love the looks. Yeah? Yes. Um, it, it looks like a Lotus. I, I think it, it well. I don't, I wouldn't say it looks like a Lotus. I I think it look it very spotty looking, but it doesn't look like a Lotus. You it looks d- more oh, like a McLaren. Actually, yeah, a little bit. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I see. We yeah, but I mean, for me, if you look at the side image, yeah, right. and it, it looks like a, a a McLaren that's been squished from nose <laughs> to tail. True, yeah. true, true. Which for me is indicative of the Lotus brand. Yeah. In my eyes, anyway. Yes, but it's a beautiful looking design. It's a beautiful car. I'm surprised they didn't launch it in British Racing Green, which is well. Uh, I think you know. Geely... I'm waiting for a joke from Daniel here about <laughs> no, no, it not I think being British. Geely being Geely, I think they're trying to suck it away from being British because you know uh, after the, that whole Malaysian ownership and everything else, they want to say, "Hey, no, 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 we're back, we're back," but we're Mm-mm. not British. <laughs> because the engine is from either Toyota or Mercedes-Benz. Yep. So that's a very, very interesting thing because the engines, as mentioned, they are two very fast options. A three and a half liter supercharged Toyota, V6 this time with almost 400 horsepower apparently. And the other one, um, what's been in the works for Mercedes-AMG themselves is that all of their next AMG cars, the C63, E63, some of them actually, are going to be powered by two-liter four-cylinder turbo hybrids. So they're going to be plug-in hybrids with electric motors and a two-liter four-cylinder turbo. And this, likely, this powertrain will be inside this Lotus, which makes it very, very, very cool. Lotus have in the past used Toyota powertrains. They've had no issue. We always remember how Lotus engines never gave problem. Reliability was always there. It was always everything else around the little Lotus car that used to give niggly problems, not serious problems, niggly problems. But now coming with that whole Geely manufacturing process and with, you know, Toyota engine and also an AMG engine, wow, the German sports car manufacturers need to be a little bit scared. Very true, because this car is... And in terms of its size and in terms of its weight, in terms of its power, it's going to go against the likes of the BMW M2 and the Porsche Cayman. Mm. So uh, speaking of the BMW M2, uh, the new beautiful looking BMW 2 Series has arrived. What do you guys think of it? Well, I was, I was just going to say, I, I love the purple color one. Same the, here. I said purple color. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> and uh, normally I never thought I'd say that. It, it's a beautiful purple car. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like a fast-moving fruit. 
<laughs> or could I say vegetable? Yes. Because what is this purple color? What what vegetable is it? It's a brinjal. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same color, and I love brinjals. But you know, honestly, guys, I look at this car. I say to myself, "Why is BMW doing this?" And then I thought to myself, "The E30 M3. This is a revival of the E30 M3. Flat arches, short short rear. You know." Yep, mm. yep. Nice stout front, you know. Very, very classic BMW, and they certainly tried to pull some inspiration from the 2002 Turbo, which only had one single light. Mm. So usually, current BMWs, you know, they have those two halo lights. Yes. But this one brings back the single halo light, and it's it works. I really, really. And love it doesn't it. have that new big intimidating cheese grater grill. Yeah, I do really like this, I have to admit. Yeah, fantastic looking thing. And I want to buy it in that purple. I want to buy it in that purple. They've just released some images, so we don't really know much about the technicals except for the fact that it's probably going to come with all the typical BMW bits. Mm. Four cylinders, a six cylinder, but really no manual transmission announced yet. They'll probably be reserved for the upcoming BMW M2. Um, Very, very, very nice car. And I think I want one as a poster on my wall. A car that I don't want a poster on my wall is the brand new Kia Sportage, though. Why? Why, why, is that? why don't you yes, want a poster? Why, why, Arif? Why? It's an SUV. SUVs aren't things that you put on your walls. Yes, but you did say you like SUVs. You did say you like something with a wagon shape, and you know you did you did say you like to do a little bit of side business, you know, whatever. So you need the space. So oh, but you don't want to be sitting and admiring it. That's what you're saying. Yes. Yeah, but this is a good-looking Sportage. I agree. I mean, it's unique. It looks ready for anything and it has really, really beautiful wheels. And obviously, Kia interiors are fantastic to say the least and stylish. And Richard, I think it looks fantastic in blue. Oh, yes. Yes, it does. (laughs) All right. All right. I'm never going to live that down, am I? Yeah, it does look very blue. Yes, you're right. It's a combination of blue and white, but Mm. still very, very nice looking car. I mean, what I, I guess what I meant is... Um, you know, it's more function than form in, in terms of SUVs, right? Right. But think about it. If this were to come to Malaysia under the new group, uh, imagine its pricing and what it's going to go against the Toyota RAV4, which is it's going to be much more expensive. This is going to be much cheaper than the Toyota RAV4. And then you've got the Honda CRV, which is also going to be slightly more expensive. Do you think this will actually bring back the Kia interest in Malaysia? I think it should do. Mm. Because it's handsome um, looking. It's yeah, it's very good looking. Interior. Yeah. If people, you know, stop thinking so much about the badge that's on the outside. Exactly. Uh, and look at the way it's actually structured, it's built, and the interior of it, then yes, it should for sure. Yes. And then you've got a new dealership, new franchise holder that's promised to do very good after sales and, and badge branding. So I think, I think this is a revival for Kia if it comes to Malaysia. Mm. I agree. Uh, speaking of badge branding, how about a Great Wall Motors Aura Punkat EV. What's that then? <laughs> it's essentially a modern and electric four-door Volkswagen Beetle, and it pretty much looks like a, a knockoff toy car, really. It looks exactly like a Volkswagen Beetle, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. Even the interior, they, they follow the same kind of steering wheel, instrument cluster. It's basically Volkswagen, again, you know, losing out to Bugatti. They have taken their most iconic product and retired it. Yep. Two years ago, they said no more Beetle, and then they said maybe, and then they said no. Some company in China decided, hey, if you don't want that iconic design, come, 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 I will take it. So they've actually gone and patented this design in Europe. You know this is going to sell like hotcakes, right? Of course. Is it? It, yes. it will, it will. And it will Absolutely. sell like hotcakes in Europe. 
Because people love the shape of it. And, yes. you know, the problem with a Volkswagen Beetle is, is that you have two options. You've either got a rust bucket or you have an expensive classic car to, to maintain. Yes. You and, know, and this is like a cheap Chinese. Oh, I don't want to say cheap Chinese knockoff, but it's a cheap Chinese knockoff. It's a reliable knockoff. Yes. And the thing is, gentlemen, you must understand, you know, only two cars in the world can carry these iconic status, the original Mini and the original Beetle, right? Agreed. Yeah. Okay. The Mini, whatever you want to say, BMW has taken it, stretched it, put extra doors, taller, shorter, four-wheel drive, sporty, whatever. They have done a good job, okay? Yeah. Even though it's lost its total mininess, you know? It's charm. It's charm, exactly. But it's still a Mini. Well, if you look at the Volkswagen Beetle, they didn't do anything to it. They didn't do anything. I mean, it, it's brazen, but, yeah. uh, you know, if they say we're not going to develop it anymore, we're not going to use this design anymore, Volkswagen have said, yep, yeah, done. What can they do? Nothing, right? Exactly. Such a waste. I would snap one of these up in a heartbeat, I'll be mm. honest. Mm. I came into this not expecting that answer. I thought you guys would agree with me in, in saying that it's half-hearted knockoff you know no i'm with richard if it comes at the right price i wouldn't mind buying one just to to look a little bit a little bit cool and they've been clever they've two-toned the thing you know yeah. that's that's very smart mm. arif is wrong uh, there's a, there's a clear <laughs> distinction between both of you and, okay so it's, right it's, okay. Yeah, gentlemen let's end by saying this the slightly older gen, gen, generation of car buyers will buy this the younger generation will not buy it yeah Let's leave it at that and wrap okay. up for this segment. <laughs> Folks, we're going to take a short break here on Cruise Control. We'll be right back with a bit of a pit stop after these messages here on Cruise Control on BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. I'm Rich Bradbury with Arif Ruse and Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. We're just talking about how wonderful the new Beetle is. I mean, the Great Walls Motor or a Punk Cat EV. Uh, Arif doesn't like it, so uh, he can sit there on the naughty fence. Whilst we have a pit stop, what are we talking about? Um, we are talking about something very serious. Oh, Okay. Unfortunately, unfortunately, but it's, it's something that needs to be brought up, I think. It has to be addressed because it's been going on too long. Yeah, and Daniel has very has titled it very well, The One Billion Ringgit Automotive Con Job That Continues in Malaysia. And what this basically describes is uh, having a planned accident. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Not planned by you, but uh, planned by somebody else and you get tied into lots of insurance and, and different workshops and I, just take it away, Daniel. Okay, very simple. Uh, Richard, you've probably not been in Malaysia long enough to understand this, or maybe you already know this. In Malaysia, whenever there's a car accident, it always happens, most of the time it always happens in the same locations around the city. Is this where the alleged little bits of oil are spilled onto the road? Ah, so, you mm. have heard about this. Aha, uh -huh, yes. Okay, so you have diesel thrown on the ground, little spikes, you have little rusty nails, you have little charred metal, you have cooking oil, you know, old cooking oil, reusable cooking oil, chucked in one corner where you know people are going to come down without really 
controlling their speed. I'll give you some examples. Along Federal Highway, there are a few spots in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, the turnoff to go to Subang Jaya from KL, that's very famous. The Glen Murray turnoff from KL, that's very famous. Um, coming out of Subang Jaya, joining Federal Highway, that's another famous spot. I'm giving you what's closer to my home. I, I don't know about the rest of Klang Valley, but I've heard of so many other locations. Now, every single time an accident happens in these areas, it just needs a little bit of rain because that's the catalyst, right? Mm, yep. Before you can even come out of your car and get out of your grogginess, there's a tow truck or there's a tout waiting. Boss, are you okay, boss? Can, can I help you, about Boss, about your car accident coming from? I arranged tow truck, I arranged insurance, I arranged everything. Don't worry. Police, I settled everything, I settled. They are very quick. And I tell you this because why? I have been in two accidents along the Federal Highway. One with my wife many years ago. We were in a 10-car pileup, okay? Wow. Right in front of PJ Hilton. It was just a small ding, 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 10-car pileup. We were somewhere in the middle. You know, you can't avoid these things. I can tell you, by the time I came out of the car, got to the other side, opened the door for my wife, there were already two guys politely talking to me. Hey, boss, are you okay? Your wife okay? Okay. Oh, the lady okay? Okay. Okay, now I called tow truck for you and all that. But because we were not, no head injury, no concussion, nothing, I said, no, I'll arrange my own tow truck. Now, this was 20 years ago when there were no insurance companies providing tow truck services, right? Mm -hmm. So I called my workshop. I got him to arrange his regular tow truck. And again, the location, that, that time you can't give your waste location or anything like that. And they hassled us because the other nine, 10 people signed up with all of them. Mm. And within half an hour, seriously, within half an hour, we had about five, six tow trucks. Now, you know, Federal Highway, whenever it rains a bit, there's heavy traffic jam, right? Yep. But these guys appear before any police, ambulance, or even a bicycle can appear. Yep. <laughs> so they are waiting just around the corner. They know where to wait. And as the time went on, that first half an hour, they got more agitated with me because I was not signing up with them. So to cut a long story short, I waited until my tow truck guy came. They gave my tow truck guy a very hard time. When he started connecting my car to his back and, and about to tow it away, they were standing in front of his truck trying to tell him, no, he has to, you know, like work out some deal. For me, it was very simple. I just said very simple. Police coming, I already called. You can either talk to the police or you can let us go. They moved aside and we left. Now, this is what happens. You see, the police will take their own sweet time to come unless they're already on the way. I'm not mm -hmm. saying it's their fault or anything else. This is just a game that has been playing on for years. Mm. Now, the next thing is to take the car to the police station to make your report. Now, a lot of these guys, once they got your car on the tow truck, they are not going to take it to the police station first. Unless you sign your agreement that they can take it to their workshop. And they will promise you, we'll take it to an authorized workshop. If your car happens to be a proton, you'll take it to a proton authorized Perdua, Perdua authorized, but they don't do that. They just take it to where they get the highest bid. Hmm. Because the moment you sign with their truck, they start making calls to their friendly workshops and saying, okay, I've got this car, estimated damage, say 2,000 ringgit, blah, 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 blah. How much do you want to pay me for it? So they say, okay, 1,000, 1,005, 2,000, 2,005. He gets the best value, he takes the car there. Now, when he takes the car to that workshop, that workshop knows he can claim four times more from the insurance company, minimum. So a $2,500 repair becomes almost ten to 11000 And I'll explain to you later how. Next comes this amazing thing. The moment your car comes in, say, okay, a fender bender means your front bumper, grill, lights, maybe your bonnet, your rear, maybe your number plate housing, your rear lights, your bumper grill. Suddenly, your side view mirror goes. Suddenly, your door gets damaged. Your radio gets lost. Oil filter is missing. Your fuel pump is missing. Because why? The moment the car goes into that workshop, 
they start removing expensive parts. Mm. And they hammer certain other parts. If the windscreen is not shattered, they will shatter it. If the rear glass is not shattered, they'll shatter it. You know why? They can claim. And the more they claim, the more they can do an uptake on the pricing. Yep. If the windscreen costs 900, they'll say it's 2000. If the side view mirror costs 50 bucks, they'll say it's 300 bucks. Yep. Then the whole process of going to the police station, everything is done by them. They will do it. They will say, I will help you out. Basically, they're helping themselves out. Now, when it goes to the police station, it's already further damaged. So the policeman, he's doing his job. He takes pictures and says, okay, this car is even damaged at the sides. I don't know how. So magically, it happened. So he puts it in his report. He shows the picture. This picture goes to the insurance company. Insurance company sends an adjuster. Adjuster can only take what he has seen. Yes, it was a fender bender, but the side of the car also got damaged. And then why is the fuel pump missing? Why is the aircon condenser missing? Don't know. In transit, it fell off. Mm. Now, what happens then? They start fixing the car. When they get the insurance adjusted, they say, okay, they start fixing the car. They might be actually putting back what they took from the car, right? And what was damaged? Do you think they're going to put back new parts? No. They go to the nearest junkyard and they start looking for parts. Mm. And then comes the repair job. It's not done 100%. They wait for you to come and complain, hey, why my car not done? Why my... After a while, okay, your car is done. But boss, you know, the insurance is only willing to pay so much. And then your paint is not matching. I give you a full coat of sprayer. You pay me extra $1,000. So you as a car owner, you say, you know, yeah, because front and back of my car is resprayed. My door is resprayed. The rest of the car now, it won't match because it's a second-hand car. I mean, it's, it's a used car, right? Yep. Now, even if it's a new car or a 10-year-old car, they can't make the paint match because A, they're not going to give you the best paint job. B, they're not bothered about even making sure the paint code is correct. So the solution is, okay, I pay an extra 1000 ringgit out of my own pocket to make sure I get a one-coat spray paint to make sure the car looks even. Mm-hmm. Now, all this is done, you get back your car. The day you pick up your car, you'll notice there's a little sound here, there's a little sound there. You go back, you complain. You say, no, 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 I only repaired what is damaged. All these other things have nothing to do with me. So you end up, after a lot of arguments, going back to the insurance company and shouting. Insurance company will say, listen, they fixed it, I can't do anything about it, I've paid it, go back to them. You go up and down, up and down, finally you'll just be fed up. So what do you do? You go back to your regular workshop and get all the other little things fixed. And then, of course, your mechanic will say, hey, they didn't change A, B, C, D, E. It's the same old part. Mm. In fact, they might put in a worse part. Mm. And by the way, they didn't give you an original windscreen. They gave you a fake windscreen. Uh, By the way, the side view mirror they gave you is second-hand because inside it's all rusty. And by the way, your fenders are all second-hand because why? Underneath is all rusty. You know, outside there's a fresh coat of paint. So what do you do? You go back to insurance company and complain. Insurance company said, well, you already took the car out and you signed. It's done. Hmm. So this argument always goes back to, oh, the insurance company didn't do justice. It is not the insurance company that didn't do justice. The problem is this scam has been going on for years that the insurance companies are at the mercy of these workshops because these workshops are like a consortium. And I was talking to one of the biggest car insurers in Malaysia and they told me this. There is more than a billion ringgit lost every year to shoddy workshops. That's a, that's a crazy stat. And it's every year. It's slightly more. And you know, even recently, one of, one of these insurance companies, which is the biggest in Malaysia for car insurance, they decided that they're going to have a certain, you know, like a tender process for people who want to do repairs. Mm. So one whole state, I'm talking about Penang, eh? all the car workshops in Penang got together and said, we banned this insurance company. What? Yes. This happened a couple of years ago. So you know what the insurance company did? Because they're big enough, they said, okay, anybody that is insured with us who has an accident in Penang, no problem. 
we will send our KL tow trucks to pick up your cars and bring it to workshops here, fix it properly, and we'll send it back to you. We will do all the documentation. We will do the police and everything else. Within a few months, all those workshops turned and said, okay, la, we'll accept your cars back. <laughs> so you see, you need a big player to reduce this. But the problem is, all the other dozen or so car insurance companies in Malaysia are not doing the same because they all have small, each have small shares. Mm. So it's one big boy against so many. If they all came together, all the insurance companies, or maybe five of the biggest came together, then this black economy of one billion over ringgit will not be lost. And car owners who have accidents will not be left with rubbish. And I say rubbish because I have personal knowledge of friends of mine who have had accidents. I'm sure you guys know this also. The cars come out within a few months. They say, my car is just messed up. I want to sell it and walk away because it's just messed up. They didn't do a proper job. Mm. And then you sell it second hand, you lose a lot of money and you walk away very frustrated. And your only anger is not with the workshop, not with the authorities, not with the tow truck guy. Your anger is with the insurance company. You see where I'm going, gentlemen? So what, what are we looking at as a solution then? The, what you suggested is about the insurance companies banding together and essentially saying we're, we're not going to do this and, and we have to do it a specific way. Or is it more of um, enforcement by these garages getting licensing from whoever they get their licensing from? Controlling these workshops and garages is not easy in Malaysia because it's, it's a total mess. So if you get like five big insurance companies are willing to sit down together and say, okay, listen, we control, say, 60% of the market, okay? Mm. Let's now go to all these workshops and garages and say, okay, listen, number one, you must give a minimum of one to two years warranty on what you fix. Right. Number yeah. two, when you are fixing the car, if the, the pictures of the car, when it's taken at the point of accident, because now everybody's got a smartphone, take pictures. It must match the pictures taken at the point of accident. Mm. Number two, the, you know, once the police take the pictures and everything, the tow truck operator who does it must come from the insurance company. That means you don't give your, your car to a tout anymore. That means whoever comes and asks you to sign over the car, no. If my car is insured with company A, company A's tow truck must come. Yes, you're shaken, you're dizzy, you, you, know, you might even be hospitalized. We can't mm. control all the situations. Mm. But the authorities must now say, okay, if the person is injured, the tow truck that is allowed to come and take must be from the insurance company. That means it can't be a tout. It can't yeah, be a middleman. Yeah. Yeah. And we do not allow any more middleman signature forms. If you sign your car over to the middleman, it's considered theft. That means that middleman has stolen your car. These are certain ways that can be put in force to reduce this. The second start is the insurance adjusters must be on the premise checking on the car daily. But of course... It's a lot of manpower, a lot of time, a lot of, you know, you also you have to check on whether these adjusters are doing some hanky-panky. But, you know, you have to put all this in play to make sure in a few years' time, this one billion does not happen anymore. Now, if, if you have this one billion disappearing from the market, that means no more con job, no more shoddy jobs, then the insurance companies can start reducing the premiums. Now, they've always promised to reduce premiums, but they can't because they have to pay out so much in these Wayankulit claims. Now, I did this article, it's on DSF, you can go and have a look at it. The most important part of this article is inside that article, I've got a screen capture of two quotations. Mm. A guy sent this to me immediately after I put up an earlier article talking about insurance fraud. What he sent to me is, same car, he sent to an authorized workshop. So the workshop owner said, okay, 
If I claim from insurance, this is my quotation. If you want me to do it and you pay me directly, here's a different quotation. So here's the best part. The original quotation direct to the owner without any insurance intervention is one quarter mm. of the repair bill. Unbelievable. How, how, how is that possible? I mean, one quarter, that's totally ridiculous, you know, to charge four times the repair costs. And it's for the mm. same vehicle, the same repair. Yep. So how do you explain that? Fraud. Yeah. Between 2,000 odd ringgit to 10,000 odd ringgit on the same vehicle. It just doesn't make sense. Wow. Well, I didn't realize there was that much money involved in it. I yes. mean, I, I knew it was a dodgy business, but yes. uh, one billion ringgit yes. every and, year. And this repair, which was shared, was basically just for a simple door damage. You know? And already at 2,000 over ringgit, that workshop is making easy 100% profit. Wow. It's just knocking back the door, putting back the trim, respraying the door to match the paint because it's a relatively new car. But the mm. moment you want to claim from insurance, it's 10,000 over ringgit. I mean, that's, come on, this is... This is not right. This is just absolute con job. Mm-mm. You might as well just junk the car. Exactly. So this is what is happening in Malaysia year after year. On that bright and shiny note, let's take a break. <laughs> you tuned in to Cruise Control here on BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. This is Cruise Control, the car show here on BFM. Uh, I'm Rich Bradbury. We're on the phone line, of course, with Arif Ruse and Daniel Fernandez from dsf.my. A little bit of a story there from Daniel just before the break on our 1 billion ringgit automotive con job. If you missed that, highly suggest you download the podcast and have a listen back to that. Meanwhile, we're going to move on to something, something somewhat of a bit of a dream car for one of our announcers here, Mr. Arif Ruse. It's a used car review of the BMW E38 7 Series. Yes. <laughs> surprise, surprise, isn't it? It's a BMW and it's one of my favorite dream cars, right? Uh, just want to say it's Daniel's review today, but, you know, I've been looking at this car for most of my life, basically. Even recently, when I was thinking of buying a different BMW, in fact. And uh, recently, I talked to Daniel about buying an E39, which is the 5 Series version of this. And he told me, are you crazy? I want to have whatever you're smoking right now. (laughs) So immediately, I threw that idea away. So right now, today, we have basically the same era of car, even rarer, and he's telling you to go out and buy one. Okay. (laughs) I know I, I did say, you know, Try and avoid the E39. And the E39 was a well-built BMW. It's one of the best-built BMWs to date. Problem is, after a while, they just become so troublesome. They have so many electrical gremlins. Let's not just go into it. Let's, let's move on to why I'm talking about the E38. And, you know, it was very hard for me to suggest this to a good friend. The first one that came along was someone who had a perfectly fine seven, seven to eight-year-old Japanese car. His loan was paid up. He's already in his in his retirement mode. You know, he's thinking, you know, I've never owned a nice little BMW. People talk so much about it. You know, when you arrive at a function, it looks great. I said, okay, what BMW are you looking at? And straight mm. away, he started showing me the F10, you know, the 5 Series. Yeah. Now, the F10 5 Series, very handsome car. It's large. 
It's very intimidating and everything else. It's got a flat nose, skinny lights, really nice flat rounded back, wide, low shoulder. A lot of it is in black color, so it's very menacing. So I said, hey, nice choice, but let me think about it because why? A, you have a perfectly, beautifully running Japanese car, no headache. It's a sedan. It's a luxury car. It's got no issues. Why do you want for us for trouble? And then a few days later, another friend asked me the same thing. He said, hey, bro, what do you think of an F10? I said, why F10? No, because, you know, my, my car, I've already fully paid up. I'm a little bit bored. I got my EPF money, you know. The car now is quite cheap, you know, 65000 someone advertised. Then he said, I said, 65000 Yeah, that's a good price. And why do you think the F10 has dropped in value so much? Because the moment the warranty is over, the moment the second owner takes possession and he can't afford all the repair bills, now he wants to sell it to the third owner and he's going to lose a lot of money. Hmm. So he also had the same idea. And I, and I sat down and said, okay. I called the other guy and, and I told this guy, I said, let me think about it. Let me come back to you guys and give you some other options, but not Japanese because they want, they insist on going down to Munich. Yeah. So I was looking through and then I realized I've never looked at the E38. And I remember the E38 because it was actually my wedding car. Oh, was it? <laughs> I borrowed it from my cousin. He had a brand new 728i at that time. He had just bought it a, f- a couple of years and he was completely in love with the car. And I remember when I took it over, because I took it for two days and I had to get it decorated. Then we used it over two days. We had it for our dinner reception and everything else. Then when I returned to him, I said, wow, this is really a wonderful car. Because I had not test driven the E38 at that time, you know? Mm. It was before the time I came into this job. And I thought, well, nice car. And then as the years progressed, I remember getting to his car a few times. And it was so nice. It was quiet, drove beautifully. And his was a 728i. Now, over the years after that, he sold the car. And I started talking to people who bought the 730 and the 740. There was even one about the 750IL. We used to call it the soil. 750IL, 50IL, soil. (laughs) <laughs> and then I realized, actually because soil, because, you know, you soil your pants whenever you see the repair bills. Anyway, <laughs> the point is, people who own the 730 and the 74 and of course the 750 were constantly complaining about engine reliability, gearbox issues, and everything else. But 728i owners never complained. And when I checked back with my cousin who, who had it, he said, you know, the years I had it, I never had a problem and then I did a bit of research, talked to a few mechanics just on the phone, and they said, yes, the double Vanos engine is very nice. Yes, the 728 has got a little less power, but it's smoother, it's got better torque delivery, and the gearbox is easy to use. There's no issue. The kickdowns are all just precise. And the instrument cluster of the 728i was improved over the years, so you get less gremlins, you know what I mean, Mm-hmm. Now, on top of that, you get into this car and it is super luxurious. It is. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about real leather, real soft leather seats, armchair-like rear seats, the roof lining and everything. You know, even if you look at one which is 15, 20 odd years old, it still looks very good as long as the, the, the previous owners looked at them. And there are not many for sale. Why? Because owners are so happy with the car. It's not a troublesome BMW. It's super comfortable. It's big. Parts are easy to get. Rotax is not a killer because it's 728. Fuel consumption is not that bad. Yet, it looks quite new and fresh. So, one of my friends said, hey, I've never looked at this 7 Series. When we went online and and checked the classifieds, there was one selling for below 20,000. It was a nice example. He went to have a look at it. And he came back and told me, he says, no, I took it for test drive. And after driving the used F10 and driving this used car at less than one-third the price, this is way better 
much bigger, looks so much nicer. He said, all I have to do is put a new number on it and nobody in my neighborhood will think it's an old car. Yep. So one of them bought a 728, the E38. The other decided to still go with the F10. So I will leave his story for another day. <laughs> so it's just an idea. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're thinking of buying a used luxury BMW, for just under 20000 you'll get a 728 E38, which was fully imported, fully loaded with every conceivable luxury item that BMW had in its possession the other time. And the 7 Series that came after this, which is called the E65, is the same price because A, it doesn't look as nice. B, it's got so many issues in terms of after-sales and reliability. And C, nobody really likes that early bangle design. You get what I mean? Mm, mm. Not to mention also that E65, that car was famous for having kilometers, literal kilometers of fiber optic cables. So Mm. if something broke, if one electronic module broke, you have to almost kind of replace one single fiber optic cable around the car. No mechanic wants to touch that, I can assure you. And if they did, it would cost you a fortune. Yes. And you must yeah. remember this E38 came out at a time when Mercedes was playing with the W140, you know, the, the unfaithful Princess Diana car, yep. the yep. big mm. S-Class 140, and also the early Audi A8 and the Lexus LS. But if you look at this car, any projector, xenon headlamps, you know, yeah, it's got that beautiful, you know, I mean, the interior, I mean, I just keep looking at the interior and saying, how did they do this so many years ago? You got cruise control, you got electric seats that still work, digital aircon system, you got a full airbag system, you got ABS. Mm-hmm. Look, this is a fantastic piece of second-hand motoring. It is. It's it's super timeless. And it's it's a car that was born in what, 96, closed out at about 2001. Yes. And right now it's 2021. And it's a car that would be heading to a lot of junkyards at the moment, yes. mainly because people can't be bothered to keep up with it or it's grown a bit ratty and nobody wants to buy one but yeah. this is one of those cars where you would probably look back in 20 years in the future and think that was probably one of bmw's greatest cars in the past 50 60 true, years true and you know people always talk about the e39 i'm not saying it's bad but they forget this because this came out around the same time it was better spec it had so much more technology in it yet it's priced the same right now yep so why buy a 528 when you can buy a 728 E38? Just a few uh, notes from my own sort of little research when I was looking at this car. Okay. Number one, yes, six-cylinder always. <laughs> you stay away from the V8, 740i, 730i. Uh, 750i is really hard to find, but I remember seeing one a couple of uh, months ago with a V12 that was selling for about 35,000 ringgit. Yes. V12, five liter, amazing. <laughs> but Definitely get the six-cylinder Vanos or non-Vanos. They had two different engines there. The interior, as Daniel mentioned, superbly well-built. I think if you can just restore the leather, you'll be good to go. Not many speakers and wirings to speak of. The highest version, they had eight or ten speakers. Mm. And final thing is, obviously, with BMWs of this age, the pixels won't show up on on some of the... Instrument cluster, yes. Yes. So... Despite all of that, you know, it's really like you want, you want a quality car, you get one right here. You yes. want an entertaining car, you get one right here. And I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, what if in five years, you know, I get to land this beautiful dream job that allows me to afford a 528 F10? And I keep mm. thinking 528 is going to depreciate more. This car has already depreciated. Correct. And if you get it in good nick, you restore it to the perfect spec that you like, probably add some M Sport here or whatever. The prices will only increase for these cars. And it's a car that you should keep, definitely. You can't lose on this car, you know? 
Yep. You just yep. have to keep running the maintenance. And and from what I've checked, the maintenance is not as bad because this car was actually very, very well put together. Yeah. Oh, and you mentioned uh, Princess Diana, right? And that fateful W140 Mercedes. Correct. Correct. Think Tupac Shakur. He got shot in this car. Oh, yes. I forgot about that. The, the BMW? The BMW, yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah, but I'm sure it was a seven soil. Yeah, it was a seven soil, yes. <laughs> My word. Yeah. So, Daniel, I have one question to ask of you. Yes. I'm going to rephrase my question I had three weeks ago. Right. I'm running my, my awesome E90 BMW 3 Series, but I want something different. Will you call me crazy for buying one of these? For you, I think I'll, I'll say a little bit crazy because you're a young adult <laughs> who's not married with no kids. But I can understand where you're coming from. You may be young, but you've got an old soul, older than my soul. <laughs> I want to go that far. Not, not with what you said about that, uh, and, and that great the, wall motor. No, and, and the reason is because you grew up with an older 7 Series. Am I, am I right? Yeah, 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 the first generation. Yes, because that was a hand-me-down from your grandfather, right? Yep, yep. So if you grew up with, with such a car, you, you like the size, you like the comfort, you like the that whole arrival with, with the occasion, you know? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be a Rolls Royce, but you arrive in an occasion. So I can understand you wanting a car like this. Now, I'm not a big, big fan of BMW, but if a 728i came at the right time for my bank balance, at the right condition, with the right, everything original, I would be very tempted to take it. Yeah. And there you go. Mm. <laughs> Arif, what are you going to do, my friend? What are you going to do? Hmm? So the plan is, uh, my dad's got a 1 Series, so he bought it for himself, then he later told me that I was supposed to buy the car from him. So instead, I went out and bought my 3 Series, right? So I'm going to sell the 3 Series, take over his car, and then we can work on the 7 Series together, like a restoration well, project. that's a great idea. i got to end by just saying this. Your father has a one series, <laughs> yes, and you want yes. a seven series. <laughs> hello, hello. There's something wrong here. Someone, please call the people with the white straight jackets. <laughs> that is the perfect time to end this show here on Cruise Control for this week. If you did miss any part of the show, don't forget you can download the podcast wherever you normally listen to it from. You can. Uh, we recommend you download the BFM app. It's available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury. On behalf of Arif Roos, he's a man with the news. Daniel Fernandez with that website over at dsf.my. This has been Cruise Control here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.